The Accidental Entrepreneur is brought to you with the help of our sponsor, A. Weber, the world's leading small business email marketing and automation service provider. Since 1998, A. Weber has helped more than 1 million small businesses and entrepreneurs through its suite of web-based email marketing, automation tools, and education. A. Weber, the best option when it comes to marketing your business. The podcast is also brought to you by the Alternative Board. Since 1989, the Alternative Board, or TAB, has been one of the leading peer advisory and business coaching organizations for independent business owners and CEOs across the world. By facilitating peer advisory boards, private one-on-one coaching, and strategic planning services, TAB helps business owners improve their businesses in ways that change their lives. And be sure to check out our affiliate sponsor, One of One Productions, the New Jersey-based podcast studio that produces and edits both audio and video podcasts. They sell equipment for the avid podcaster and have even created a guesting kit exclusively for our listeners. And be sure to support the podcast by ordering some logo merchandise from our online store. Listen to all of our sponsors' commercials later in this episode and follow their links in the show notes to learn more about their products and services. Okay, welcome to another episode, another live episode of the podcast. This is our third live, second guest. Uh, We have another great guest here today. If you are listening on your favorite directory, be sure to give us a five-star review if you can. varies by directory. And if you're watching us on YouTube, subscribe to the channel, like us, um, and hit any other bells and whistles and buttons that you can. So keep us, uh, allow us to keep bringing great guests like we have today. So let's get started with today's show. The information provided in these episodes is for entertainment purposes only. It is not a guarantee of success or to be construed as advice of any kind. You should always seek advice from local licensed professionals before making any decisions. The dictionary defines an entrepreneur as a person who organizes and manages any enterprise, especially a business, usually with considerable initiative and risk. People often start a business without much choice, perhaps due to a job loss or just being dissatisfied at work, and they come up with an idea they just know can be successful. They become entrepreneurs by accident. That is to say their success or failure happens by accident, not with intention. My name is Mitch Beinhacker. I'm a corporate attorney and a business advisor. You're listening to The Accidental Entrepreneur, my podcast about how to achieve success on purpose, not by accident. Join me along with our monthly guests where we share our knowledge and help you get a hold of your business. And now on to today's episode. Hi, my name is Brian Will, and I'm glad to be on the Mitch Beinacker Show today, The Accidental Entrepreneur. I am the author of three books, The Dropout Multimillionaire is the big one. That's what we're talking about in the show today. You can find me at brianwillmedia.com. That's www.brianwillmedia.com. Listen to Mitch's show, it rocks. All right, so welcome to the episode, to the podcast. We have a great guest today. Um, I am going to uh, read a little bit about him, and then I'll let Brian introduce himself. Uh, Brian Will is the industry expert in sales and management consulting and a best-selling author of the Wall Street Journal and USA Today hit book, The Dropout Multimillionaire. We're going to talk about that during our discussion. With over 35 years of experience as a serial entrepreneur, Brian has a proven track record of success, having created seven highly successful companies across four different industries with a combined worth of over half a billion dollars at their peak. Brian, thanks for coming on the show. And uh, why don't we start with uh, introducing yourself and start telling us about your background. Morning, Mitch. I appreciate you having me. This is awesome. Uh, yeah, I think uh, my background goes back to 
failing out of high school. That's where I started, right? No education. Yeah. Got kicked out of the house at 18, joined the military because I didn't have any place else to go. Got off active duty, okay. started my first business, uh, which was in landscaping because, again, no education, no discernible job skills. I figured anybody could cut grass and dig holes, so that's what I did. But yeah. built, built that labor, into seven right? franchises here in the Atlanta area before I, that thing collapsed, uh, fell apart, learned a lot of lessons okay. in that one. And then... Okay, so you had seven, what, people that were running organizations? Well, we actually franchised the company, so I was a franchisor. um, And I learned a lot about failure, learned a lot about franchising uh, in that that business. And uh, it finally collapsed. I I moved into the insurance industry, which was um, back about 1996. And through, your, your accidental entrepreneur is awesome because I call it a progression of ideas. Uh, and executions, right. which is how people end up succeeding most of the time. Uh, well, what made you go from the landscaping business, right? Because I guess the it just wasn't making it financially. You shut the whole thing down to insurance. Yeah, right? so I had uh, when the, when the company collapsed around me, um, my I lost my health insurance, and then my daughter started to have health problems. She was three years old at the time, and a friend of mine came to the house to try to sell me an insurance policy. And while he was talking to me, he said, "Hey, man, you should come sell insurance with me." And I absolutely did not oh, want to okay. do that. But over a period of about six months, he'd come back every now and then and show me these big commission checks, and they kept getting bigger and bigger. And six months later, I said, "You know what? Maybe I should try selling insurance." So I did landscaping during the day and insurance at night. And then after about six weeks of selling insurance, I was making more money part-time than I was full-time. So I quit the landscaping business and that's what moved me into the insurance side. So again, just accidentally Uh, got into it just because. Yeah, it's funny. My my father, um, he passed away in December, but he was in the life insurance business since 1965. And I think he was working for a shoe chain and he was in management. He went to get, my mom was pregnant and he went to buy insurance from a, a guy that he knew through somebody else. And during the conversation, that's exactly what happened. He says, you know, I'd like to learn more about your business and dropped his management program when it, and stayed. Yeah. In the I mean, business. who knew I could so, sell? Yeah. That was kind of the, the whole joke of the whole thing is right. I had no idea that I would be good at it. And within right. six weeks, I was the top agent in this agency. I was producing like half the revenue for the entire agency of 15 salespeople. Yeah, so it just kind of fit you. And, and, you know, the insurance business is a tough, it was life insurance, it was health, health insurance and life. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that's tough sell. It's hard. It's, you know, a tangible product. People aren't getting in smelling the leather and things like that. And if you have no sales training or even it's, it just kind of fits certain well, people. It, it was interesting back then because this is when health savings accounts first came out and they had never been done okay. before. And we were running advertisements right. on the Rush Limbaugh show. And so the leads were flying right. in because, you know, when Rush said something, people would call. And then I would just go right. out and explain to them how it didn't make any sense to keep their current policy that this thing was awesome. And they just started buying it from me. It was kind of crazy. But you had like a door opener because nobody really understood yeah. HSAs then. And then, yeah. yeah. So okay, I ended up good. building this, this All right. through a series, again, of progression of ideas. I ended up building the first what we call direct to, consult, direct to consumer call center today. Back then, I just called it a virtual sales center, right? I, I started right. figuring out how to sell on the phone instead of going out and seeing people. And knocking on their doors and driving right. around town and 1999 rolls around and the, and the internet boom takes off and there's a couple of big inter- online internet insurance right. companies and i was the only agency in the country yeah. that was allowed to do this because we were doing an experimental program and so we got snapped up and that's how okay. i got into the venture capital world i see 
Got it. Got it. Yeah, because 96, I said, you, you just got started. That's like 17 years ago. Internet, I think I first heard about around 92. Yeah. So, yeah, it wasn't until the end of the 90s where people were now e-commerce was really taking off. So that was like your first exit kind of, right? Because you owned the it company. Was, and- it was. As I like to joke, I got, I, make, I got $1 million, which at the time I thought I was freaking rich. And you're a millionaire. You no, know, a million dollars is nothing. Yeah. After you pay your taxes and wow. I paid my house off and I bought a car, I had like $50,000 left. And I thought... Yeah, you know, when I remember 9-11, I, I used to do a lot of work with, I still do a lot of work with financial advisors, and I'd have to sit with these widows who lost their husbands or spouses or whatever, and they had a they had life insurance, right? So they, they had a million dollars. And the mom's saying, she's going to be fine. she got a million dollars. And I said, well, she's $150,000 to live. She's got three kids, has been out of the, mar- the workforce for 10 whatever years. She's not making 15% on her money. So you're going to start running out of money seven or eight years. And I, I had some people that literally walked out of the office and didn't, they were like, you don't know what you're yeah, talking you don't about. Really, and people have no concept. You don't realize how little a million dollars yeah. is until you actually get it. Yeah. No, because it's just a pile of money that's got to be put to work. It's not like you can use it because every time you use it, the pile gets smaller and the income that it generates gets smaller. It's yep. a spiraling process, but that's a whole nother, you know, financial planning <laughs> discussion probably. So, yeah. So, yeah. It, so that was nineteen ninety nine, and a funny story when I when I got the check, I went down to the right. bank to pay my house off, and the the business the broker at, at the bank, he's like, "No, don't pay your house off. You need to invest this in stocks. These internet stocks are booming. This was January of two thousand. They're booming. They're uh, booming. Invest all your money uh, in stocks. Don't pay the house off." And right. I argue with him. Yeah, I argued for twenty minutes until I finally right. paid yeah. the house off. And you know what happened in March of two thousand? The bubble burst. Yeah, the graveyard. Yeah, you would have burst. So, yeah, now, look, there's, there's an argument to be said, depending on your income, that you should have keep your mortgage because you get tax deductions depending mm-hmm. on the rates. Right. But that doesn't mean you go and throw all your money in the stock market into Internet stocks. You know, I mean, that's yeah, and crazy. today I have a mortgage on my house today and I can pay my house off, you know, tomorrow if I wanted to. But as you just said, it makes financial right. sense because of my two point one five percent interest rate to not pay it off. Right. You're never going to get money that cheap again. Right. Plus the availability of cash is, has a lot to do with it. Right. So if you have no mortgage and you lose your job, let's say you're not going to the bank and getting a loan against your house. They're going to want to know what's your income. How are you going to pay this back? And you don't have any. So bad time to be getting a, a, a loan. I, I, so yeah, One of the chapters in my book, cash. I talk about cash is king. And I say, if you have a choice between 100,000 of cash and 100,000 of debt or no cash and no debt, which one would you do? And I, I, all day, I'll take right. 100000 cash and 100000 debt because if something happens, I can't yeah. go to the grocery store, fill up my car, go up to the register and say, hey, look, I got no debt. Can I have these groceries? Right. Or the bag of yeah, dirt from nobody my cares. front yard. You know? Yeah. Doesn't help. So, yeah, a lot of people miss that. They, you know, they psychologically, they don't want to have debt. They don't want to have a mortgage. It keeps them up at night. But, you know, that's not the way life works. And, and accessing the cash, right, in your house under your feet is not just oh, I have this house, give me money. It's right. just not that simple. So yeah, no, good, good advice. Well, we're already getting into the book. So in 19, so 1999 was basically your exit from the insurance. That was the first was one. The I actually got time. back in after that, started oh. another one. Okay. That, um, we launched, I got acquired again by another venture capital firm out of Silicon Valley. That company is called okay. getinsured.com today. They power like nine or 10 oh. states and state-based ACA programs. So they acquired me in 2008. Um, I had another company we started in 03 that we sold in 06, which was an internet marketing company. Essentially we did lead gen in the, okay. in the credit and insurance space. We sold that to a private equity firm. Uh, 
Right. And then after both of those exits, I honestly tried to retire, but my brain never stops. So I couldn't. So, right. yeah, but you kind of found a formula in an industry and you're kind of repeating it. Right. So people should it, listen it's a to joke. That. They used that's, to say I was rubber stamp in this business model. And that's just about right. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. If you find a model that works and you can repeat it and sell it again, there's, you know, look, these big companies, I'm sure the private equity group, they don't want to start a company yeah. from scratch. They want to buy what you built. It's too expensive for them to do it. And they don't have the, you know, the people. And then once so, you've yeah. sold a few companies, the industry considers you an expert. So then I became a high priced consultant. Yeah. So I'm running around talking to, uh-huh. you know, CEOs and CFOs and CMOs and CSOs of billion dollar companies on how to improve their direct to consumer call center. So I did that for a number of years. Um, and then bought yeah. some restaurants for fun and a couple of them failed. And, okay. and so I bought more, of course, that's what you do. Were they, were they franchises? The first or one just I bought was a franchise scratch. and it lost money okay. the first year, like $50,000. So I sold it and bought four more okay. that were not franchises. Well, yeah. We always sense, double right? down. Right. <laughs> and then through a period yeah, of, of course. trials and errors and failures and successes where we got about seven units now that are operating and doing really well in the restaurant uh, business. I don't do a lot with that. Honestly, kind of I, I have a good awesome. team of people, so I don't really get involved in the uh, operations there. So it's more hands yep. more hands And I wrote a few, but you look, you had to do a different industry, right? So you had to kind of figure that out. It took a little while to work your plan, well, so to speak, right? Make I have some never mistakes. gone into a business or industry that I knew what I was doing. I, I, I always, that's not, that good, advice not good advice. Listening, though. <laughs> <laughs> and hence I failed a lot, but I can yeah. tell you from all those failures, I've yeah. learned a tremendous amount that I now work with and teach entrepreneurs. Hey, don't do that. Don't do that. Do it this way. Do it this way. Yeah, yeah. Plus the irony of, uh, of of business, right? I mean, the bigger mistakes you make, you learn more, but you don't want to make those big mistakes because you're just learning for other people at the end of the day. But that look, that's part of failing your way to success. Sometimes I always tell people, listen to you, read your book, listen to the people I interview. So you will avoid the bigger mistakes. Hopefully you'll always make mistakes, but, and some of it comes with taking risks. Don't you think? I mean, you know, you get more comfortable with risk as you succeed and you have money in the bank and you got some staying power and you'll take some more risks and then you have some bigger failures and you learn some things. But that's OK when you're 20 years in or 10, 15 years in and you've banked some money and you got some credibility and, you know, it's it's different. That's different than doing it day so one. I, I, this what we teach people. We call the 100 lessons. Right. I call it the 100 lessons from zero to success whatever success means to you. Okay. And let's just assume there's a hundred yeah. lessons in there. We all come into that hundred lesson uh, block at a different level. If you've got experience, if you've got money, if you've got backing, you might start at lesson 50 and you only have to learn 50 lessons to get where you want to go. Me, I started at zero. Every new entrepreneur comes yeah. in at a different level. Anybody can succeed if they're willing to not quit and go through all the lessons. Most people that fail, they never get they, they quit before they get to the top. And then the second thing I tell right. people is if you want to skip some of those lessons, if you want to flatten that learning curve, find somebody who's already 10 or 20 or 30 steps above you and can yeah. say, Hey man, what am find I doing wrong book. here? How do I do this? Yeah. And that'll right. help you accelerate your yeah. business, amplify your revenues and profits, uh, and get you where you want to go a lot faster. I did not do that. My first 20 years, it took me a long time to figure out how to do that. Yeah, I'm a huge advocate. I mean, you heard the sponsors were the alternative board is one of our sponsors. I'm a big advocate of advisory boards mm-hmm. of mentors of there's no reason there's people out there that have made those mistakes and figure those things out. You don't have to spend 20 yeah. years trying to figure. I mean, you can, but you know, you spend 20 years trying to figure it out when you can 
Except it's always easy to look back and say, boy, if I knew 20 years ago what I know now, but it's part of the journey, you know, unfortunately, but hopefully people listen to you and they go, oh, that's a good idea. I know John, whatever. And I should call him and, and ask him if he would have you a know cup what's of funny, though, him. Mitch, is ego kills more entrepreneurs than anything else. I literally had yeah. an entrepreneur here in my hometown yeah, yesterday true. in a conversation tell me, yeah, my business isn't growing the way I want it to. I'm, I'm struggling a little bit here. And I said, you need to bring in a coach. And she was so adamant. I am not hiring anybody. I am good at business. I can do this on my own. Right. And it just. Right. Like you're bad at something. And that's the bit, by the way, you and I both know the best people use coaches more than the people I, that are struggling. I, mean, I just did a podcast with, with David Metzler, Meltzer. And uh -huh. you know, he's a, he's Meltzer, a yeah. CEO coach to fortune 50 companies, Tim cook of Apple has yeah. an executive coach along with his board of directors. Yeah. Like, of course you, of course you should do that. But these small entrepreneurs think, Oh no, I can do it all myself. I'm, you know, I got this. It's I like, know. no, I know. I look, business is humbling and it'll humble you if you're not humble to it. And you know, that's why I remember my, my dad always gave me good advice. One of the first things when I came out of law school, I didn't know what I was going to do. I, I was interested in estate planning and, and business planning, but you know, I, it was hard. I couldn't get a job. So I, my dad was in the insurance business. I went to work for insurance agencies, whatever. And the first thing he told me was, listen, here's a list of five or six people that I know are successful in insurance. You find other ones, have a cup of coffee with a different guy every, um, mm -hmm. every month. And you learn a tremendous, uh, tremendous amount. So, um, that was, you know, good advice. And I try to, like you said, try to tell people that that's what you should do. But their ego gets in the way. Yeah, one person. I know, but we're, I don't even do that for legal work. I run it by people and, uh, you know, you got one brain and you can't talk to yourself and figure things out all the time. And Collaborative decision-making is powerful. Yeah. And that's why you got to where you are. That's why you wrote the book and all these types of things. But uh, yeah, I love the stories because I think it's valuable to the people that are yeah. So after that, we, we sold those. I did consulting for a while and then I got the restaurants. I've got the, my third book is now coming out next month. Uh, I got into politics, did city council, got into real estate. And so I don't really actively work in any of the businesses per se today that I own, but I'm, I sit at 30,000 right. strategic uh, direction level uh, of everything that I do. Right. And that's where you should be. You should be there. You shouldn't be sweeping the floors and plumbing out toilets. So you have, so you have some of a real estate portfolio. Mm -hmm. You own, you're, you're, you're an owner of, or maybe a partner in the, restaurants. the restaurants. Yeah. Um, you're not in the insurance business anymore. No, right? I almost got back in recently. Um, it's an interesting story. I, I had a, a person that I've consulted for, I've mentored for 15 years and he asked me to come in and work with him on the company. And we came in and we were about to do a $5 million raise and, and, and I hope he doesn't hear this story. And I, 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 and I said, listen, I'm not willing to put my name on the $5 million raise if you're going to remain the CEO. It's not because you're a bad person. I'm just telling you we need a better CEO. Right yeah, sometimes you're just not and right And he wasn't willing to take the title away. He wanted to do it himself. And so I pulled out of the deal. I mean, that's part of it, right? You're investing in people. And, if you, and it's not that he's not the right person, just the for wrong that person job. for that Every job. entrepreneur is not a CEO. That is such a critical key. Right. Just because you start the business right. doesn't mean you should physically run the business. Just like you might not be the salesperson. Right. You might not be the manager. You might, If you own a plumbing company, you might not be the plumber. You don't have to be everything. Find what you're good at. Right. Bring in other people to everything. fill in the rest of it. Yeah. Yeah. Look, look, I boiled down a business plan. If you really had to write a strategic plan to like four parts, right? Your, your product or service, 
your the financial side of it, the marketing and the marketplace. And the fourth is personnel and, you know, job descriptions and everything and figure out, can I do this? Do I need people to do other things? What am I good at? What am I not good at? And I think most importantly, from you just alluded to be honest with yourself, because these people are kidding themselves saying, oh, I'm the entrepreneur. Like the word entrepreneur doesn't mean tough guy who figures everything out and doesn't let anybody help him. That's not the definition of entrepreneur so or business owner or whatever it happens to be. So I think that, um, yeah, I mean, for people listening, that's uh, that's a huge obstacle that if people overcome that early on, I think they have much more of a chance of seeing the things that you become blind to when you are so it's not even in love with your business. I think you get to the point, maybe you will agree or disagree, but you get to the point where you are committed so much to whatever it is you're doing that you're almost embarrassed to change and, you know, admit that, oh, God, I, I wasted the last six, eight months going down the wrong path. But that's history, right? That's a buck. It's only what yep. you can do going forward. You got to, or you don't, or you fail. We call you know? this being deadly honest with who you are, but more importantly, who you're not. Because who you're not, if you try to fill that role, is what's going to kill you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, What kind of businesses have you consulted with? Like, I mean, I know insurance, but have you consulted with other businesses and other industries? A a wide variety in this. So, what I've done now, Mitch, is I've taken like 35 years of buying business or building businesses, selling them, consulting for corporate America. And I brought all that experience down to what I call the well-funded startup to 10 million in revenue level. So this is the new mastermind that I launch and it's a private business coaching. So it's construction companies is the latest one I just brought on. It's a chiropractic office. It's, you know, it's small business, some other restaurants that I do consulting for. Um, Right. Here's the thing. What I teach is not hard skill specific. It is soft skill mindset business specific, right? We call it tactical business strategy. And tactical business strategy okay. works for any business, irregardless, right? I just did a, a, a franchise, yeah. a cleaning franchise, national cleaning franchise. We went in and, and did some work with them. But the exact same things we talked to them and their PL analysis and core metrics apply to every single business that's out there, right? It's right. Different number, different number it's, zero. It's, it's just a matter of, as I say, right. take your PL, track it over 24 months, pull out the six core metrics, do pattern recognition, and you can now predict your business moving forward. I don't care what your business is. It's still a per- profit and loss statement. It's still core metrics. It's still pattern recognition. It's all yeah. the same. If you can run a business, you can run a right. business. That's that's kind of what I tell people. And a lot of that is about knowing your numbers, right? It's really important that you have a grip it's on It's the number finances. five in my five keys to success, right? Know your numbers. And you'd be surprised. Yeah. Or maybe yeah. you wouldn't. I run across businesses all the time I that they have no people, idea. Right. No idea. But you know what? But those are cash flow businesses. As soon as the cash flow stops, like during the pandemic, the smoke clears and they realize they don't really have a business. They were barely staying open. The best business owners I've met and worked with and clients of mine, they know exactly. Let's use a cleaning company, for, for example. They know exactly how many jobs they have to bring on before they mm-hmm. add a new crew and what their what the cost is of, of the area in which they service because they can only get so many places and they have so many hours to get a crew there or whatever. They really, they really know their numbers and it, it gives you peace of mind, but you know, look, people are afraid of a lot of things, including math. It's funny. So, I did this and I did this P and L analysis for this franchise company. It was at their annual convention and I had them send me six actual P and L's top two, middle two, bottom two. And I did the core metric analysis uh-huh. and I said, here's your six core metrics. And the difference between, franchises that are growing and they're wildly profitable, the ones that are not growing, but sort of profitable and the ones that are losing money, 
all boiled down to yeah. the percentage dollars spent on marketing. That's what it all boiled down to. The top people okay. were spending 8%. The bottom people were spending 4 At 4%, they weren't covering the attrition, the loss of clients, because you know you have a constant attrition. Right. People spending 5 or 6 right. were recovering their attrition, but they weren't growing. People spending 8% were covering the attrition and growing, and they were wildly profitable. That was the single core metric. It was a franchise system, obviously. That was the difference. And I said, and and I did the return on dollars, right? If you spend a dollar at 8%, you get a $15 return. If you spend a dollar at 4%, you get a $5 return. Well, it it, it makes sense, right? I mean, you're basically talking about filling the pipeline, right? It's just math. It it doesn't. And 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 if you drag it out across 200 or 500 or 1,000 franchises, the math works every time. So it's it's, it's not even arguable. And yet people still don't do it. Right. Yeah, well, I think what you said before about your hundred lessons, your hundred steps. Yeah. You know, none of that is things that people can't do. It's that they're unwilling. Like there's nothing in business that, that you or I are, have special skills and we're able to, I mean, your book's called the mm-hmm. dropout. Uh, you know, there's no, you've demonstrated it. It's what people are unwilling to do. Maybe they're not comfortable. Maybe they're stuck on their ego, whatever it is. It's not that they can't do it. There's mm-hmm. nobody says I can't do that. They can always find somebody who can do it or can help them or read about it or talk to you or read your book or, you know, join a mastermind, whatever it happens to be. People get there. So I, I think that's a an important lesson that it's not you. It's what you're willing or not willing to and do. Even, and, and like that's I had someone the other day say, but I'm not really comfortable talking to people. OK, then either start reading a bunch of books get and get comfortable or hire somebody right. else who is. Yeah. Either way, you're right. going to fill that gap. But if you're trying to do it right now, you're not going to it's not going to work for you. Yeah, it's it's funny. I have a book coming out. Uh, should have been out two months ago. We're chasing <laughs> the publisher down um, about about the things you need to do as a business owner to stay out of court and to stay out of trouble. And, and the major theme is like putting things in writing, business plans, contracts with clients, contracts with vendors, you know, employee agreements, all that type of stuff. Because our memories are totally fallible. Like we don't remember anything accurately. You and I could talk about this conversation six months from now, and you were without reviewing it, and you'll remember we talked about one thing. Yep. I'll remember we talked about something else, and neither yep. of us are correct. So important you put things in writing i get people that say to me oh but i mean i'm not comfortable with that when i'm talking to somebody and i gotta like whip out a contract <laughs> and i go well first of all you better get comfortable with it because the judge isn't going to care when you say well your honor i mean really wasn't comfortable asking brian to sign a contract good luck and that's what professional people do so change your pitch your sales pitch your pr- approach whatever it is that you're presenting so the contract does comfortably fit into what you do. You know, as a lawyer, I have to get people to sign retainer agreements. It's part of my ethical obligations. I can't say, well, I wasn't comfortable asking them to sign a retainer yep. agreement. Well, then you're not getting paid. I mean, you know, that's that's what it comes down to. So I think a lot of that stuff has to do with you can build a comfortable system, whatever it is, right? Your sales, closing, to to make this so work. So my next for you. book coming out, by the way, Mitch, is called uh, No, The Psychology of yeah. Sales and Negotiation, right? And one of the things okay. we, we we'll put teach in that book is that exactly what you're talking about, and, and, and it doesn't matter whether you're doing a full-blown script or whether you just have a mini script in your head, you need to figure out what these yeah. little mini scripts are, what I call transitional statements. So in, or, in, in other words, what you just yeah. said, the, the easiest way to do this is, okay, so you're, you, this is what you need to do. Let me tell you how this process works. Right. I'm going to need, I'm going to need to like, give yeah, you this. 
yeah, it's like dealing, remember in the old days with sales, like dealing yeah. with objections, right? That was always the big part of it. And I remember this one thing, I, maybe I use this subconsciously now, yeah. feel felt found, you know, when somebody, I, you know, and you just say, I understand how you feel. A lot of people I've worked with have felt the same way, but after they found this out, they were more comfortable with going forward with whatever the decision. And it just kind of takes the air yeah. out of the balloon. That's what those little, little transitions are, are about. So, so the new book has a lot of that guidance in it. Yes. It's, it's the psychology of sales and negotiation. And I take people through, if you understand objections prior to the person yeah. having them, and you can build right. a sales system or a script to overcome those objections before they have them, then you are going to be in right. a better position to get your job or your sale, or your clothes done. Right. Just like that transition statement. So yeah. this is my price. Is that, is that price sounds good to you? Yes. Let me tell you how this process works, which is different than do you want to buy? Right. That's a different right. statement. Let me tell you this process yeah. works. And right. then you just roll into it. Right. Like we, we talk about in the book, right. the very first objection is people don't like salespeople. People don't like salespeople. Right, very much. So. They, don't they don't trust them, trust right? Even though well, you know when you pick up your phone and somebody right. goes, hi, is this Mr. Beinecker? Yeah, you know it's Click. a salesperson. And, and yep. suddenly your brain just switches mode and you you get like little angry and you don't want to talk to them. I, I use car lots. When you no, walk on a car lot, do you think that the car salesman no, is, is looking out for your best interest? Do you trust them? That has to be the worst purchase yeah. experience in life. I don't care whether it's a high, you know, you're buying a, a, a Ferrari, maybe that's a little bit better experience, <laughs> or if you're buying, if you're buying a, you know, a, a Hyundai yeah. or, or a Toyota. It's just an emasculating experience. Like that industry needs some major regulation when it comes to autos and, you know, because it's just, you got to find people yeah. that you trust and you really, you can't figure it all out. And that is a very, it, look, that is the quintessential sales purchase yes. experience, right? You go to the used car lot or the, dealership and they go, okay, Brian, let me go talk to the manager. And they go behind some glass wall. God knows what they're saying. And you're thinking, oh, they're just, you know, tearing me down and they're going to figure <laughs> this out and get more money. And there's plenty of dealerships that don't work like that and that are legitimate, but that's right. the impression of the experience. I think also people have to kind of accept the fact and buy into the fact that they are mm -hmm. salespeople. Even though you say, I hate, I don't want to be a salesperson. I'm not comfortable with sales. We're all selling something. It's not to our wife, to our kids, to Right. So if we kind of embrace that and say, OK, I understand that I'm a salesperson. I learn what objections mean, which I guess is a lot what you were mm -hmm. alluding to yeah. there. Right. Because. Right. So then when they come up, just like anything else, you're not so like, what was that? Why are you saying that? Right. You're ready for it. You, it's not. Such a, and some of that comes with experience. But I think, um, yeah, objections are usually mean something more than just what the people are saying. You know, it's not price. It's not this. It's not that. It's because they want it, but they don't know how they can afford it. That you know, is that one of them. Of yep. Yep. For sure. So yeah. anyway, the whole book's about Absolutely. that. It's, uh, it's, it comes out May 15th or May 22nd, I think. Okay, good. So, so this, this is live, but, um, you know, it'll be re-released. So maybe by the time it's released, uh, the book will be out and we'll put some links in the cool. show notes to get some people to the, to the book. Um, all right. Well, why don't we take a commercial break since I do have some sponsors that pay me a little <laughs> bit of money to keep the podcast going. And then we can uh, come back and talk more about maybe some stories and experiences you have with other people, things that you've seen other people overcome and some more advice and, and all that. You kind got of stuff. it. Makes sense. Okay. Here's a word from our sponsors. Looking to market and grow your business, or perhaps you're just getting started and want to hit the ground running. AWeber is the best choice for online email marketing and automation of your business. From maintaining a subscriber list to drip campaigns and landing pages, 
AWeber gives you tools and integrations that make marketing easy and fun. As our partner and sponsor, we use all their tools to promote the podcast and market our law firm. AWeber, the best alternative for online marketing. For over 30 years, the Alternative Board, or TAB, has built a thriving community of forward-thinking CEOs and business owners who want to radically improve their companies. Through unique combinations of one-on-one business coaching, participation in monthly TAB board meetings with other non-competing owners, a suite of strategic tools, and customized strategic planning workshops, TAB membership can deliver greater strength to your business and a better work-life balance for you and your family. All packaged in a streamlined and affordable service that the people at TAB invite you to try risk-free. Maybe you're looking to get into podcasting or you just want to market your business. Maybe you want to do it for enjoyment or because you have a message you want to get out there. One of One Productions is a New Jersey-based studio just over the George Washington Bridge that caters to the booming business of podcasting. They offer a comfortable atmosphere using the latest technology available to record your podcast. And they are a full-service media company offering both audio and video production services, creating both audio and video podcasts as well as video shorts for business and personal use. Professional audio equipment packages are available through their website for all budgets. And be sure to check out their podcast guesting kit created especially for our listeners. Follow the link in the show notes to learn more about all of our sponsors. And now back to our show. All right, we're back. And Brian, I think this is such a great conversation, you know, because you, you, you've grown businesses, you started businesses when you were young, when you were older, you made your mistakes, you, you've exited. You, I don't, and I would like to know if you've built the businesses with the goal of exiting. A lot of people don't do that. And then they decide like six months later before the end that they want to sell their business. They haven't been positioning it. So maybe that's something we can talk a little bit about, but you know, so you have the business experience. There's a lot of people out there consulting and they were in corporate corporate and they were in exec and now they're coaching small business, but you've, you've walked the walk, talked the talk and all that type of stuff, written the books, but all of the advice that we're giving people, I, I hope people are really taking, you know, to heart because, you know, th- th- although none of it is magic to you and I, Maybe people hearing it over and over and over again from us and other professionals where they finally find, you know, maybe it resonates with them and they want to work with you. I always tell people, if you're going to coach with somebody, mentor with somebody, you got to feel like you mm-hmm. sync with them. You know, like what they say makes sense to you. And and I think a lot of that, that is what we're doing. So that's what I think it's really cool that we connected and we're talking. Maybe you can get into those, some uh, some more lessons, some uh, maybe some businesses that you've helped, maybe some smaller businesses so they can people can relate a little bit yeah, to some I'll, stories. I'll that. jump on a couple of things you just said there. First of all, I want to go back to TAB, right, one of your sponsors, yeah. the alternative board. And, and I think this is where a lot of entrepreneurs, especially in that zero to 10 million revenue, um, fail. And the example I always yeah. use is, is Apple. And we talked about Apple a little bit ago, right? Tim Cook runs Apple one of the biggest companies on the planet, one of the most profitable companies on the planet. Apple has a board of directors, as does virtually every major company in America. And that board of directors of comes in every quarter and they sit down with Tim and they say, hey, what's going on? Tell us you know, your challenges, your, your opportunities. We're going to use all of our collaborative combined advice and we're going we're gonna to tell you what we think you should do. Tim gets done with the board meeting, he takes the advice and he goes out and makes Apple better. And I always ask entrepreneurs, yeah. If Tim Cook, he's got to be a freaking genius kind of guy. If he needs, and oh, by the way, he also has an executive coach who's not the CEO right. of an Apple, 
right? If he needs a coach and a board of directors, what in the world makes you think you're going to do this all by yourself? And this, that means like, that means your success is just accidental. And that's, that's where tab comes in, by the way, you get the opportunity to do things like that without having to have a join an advisory board. Right. Exactly. uh, Great opportunity there. Um, yeah. But, but I don't think it's not difficult for you to create a little bit of an advisory board. You find colleagues who have other mm-hmm. businesses, you form like a study group, right? And you agree, maybe under a non-disclosure agreement or whatever, to share information about your business and then run ideas by each other. And, hey, I had this trouble with an employee or yep. we were trying to launch this product or and get their advice and feedback. And it helps you to give them advice, too. These we are mastermind that, so. groups. I run a mastermind group. I belong to somebody else's mastermind group. Like, you, you know, I, you I'm go. not... I don't claim to know everything and I want to bounce ideas over uh, across to other people as well. So I not only do what I do, but I also walk the walk. I, I join, I am part of one as well. And I think that's just so important for people. And it's that ego of these entrepreneurs that really kills them because they think they need to be all and know all. I've always said, yeah, but organizations like tab that you don't have to go out and find the people now. Right. So if you, if you can't do that, you don't know who to talk to join an organization. I've always said that success in business is not knowing all the answers. It's, asking the right questions and you don't stop asking questions even when you think you have an answer i just keep asking and asking and asking and i always use jack welch as an example one of the top ceos in history and he was very very famous for asking questions in fact i've I've read articles where he he would go to parties and people all want to talk to jack and all he would do is sit and ask everybody else questions and nobody would be allowed to ask him one this is a guy who wants to absorb right. knowledge. And again, if the top leaders are out there asking questions, why do we think we need to have all the answers, right? Well, why do you think law school is taught on the Socratic method? I had, a, I, when I was at, at Cornell, I was, I think in biology and the, the law school was, was obviously a graduate school, right? So the professor and the, the biology professor got into an argument with the law professor about the Socratic method. So the law professor said, I guarantee you, we're going to switch classes and I'm going to teach your lecture and you'll teach my lecture. And I guarantee I'll be able to teach your lecture. So the biology professor obviously went, <laughs> couldn't do anything in the law school. The law school professor came in and spent the hour just asking yeah. the kids questions. He didn't even read the textbook. And afterward, the students, including myself, were like, that was the greatest <laughs> lecture we've ever had. The students basically did all the teaching and they figured it all out on, on their own. So, you know, the whole question methodology is a is a good one. And, and it teaches the executive to, you know, learn what's going on in their head. It's also the most important thing you um, do in the sales process. Again, too many salespeople think they need to talk and they really need to be asking questions and listening. And in fact, yeah. being a lawyer is just the litigator is being a salesperson. You're, you're asking questions, right. you're building formulations in your head so that you have, you know how you're going to come back. This is overcoming objections before they have them. Right. I think I would have been a good yeah. litigator. I mean, I failed out of high school, but I Probably. don't have that shot. But, you know, uh, but it's, it's really just sales. Everything in the world is about sales. And and, and it's all it's about sales. asking questions. Yeah. I would say, show me a company that doesn't have a sales force of any kind, and I'll show you a company with no sales. And when you have no sales, you have no company. Yeah. Right? Right. The entire world Clearly. revolves around sales and good people, salespeople, what makes it go. So it drives everyone. You know? Right? So the oldest profession in the world. Yeah. So I think I got off track there. What was your other question? We were talking about other, you know, stories about other businesses that you've helped or worked with or, you know, lessons learned, those types of things, not necessarily your businesses, but I'll give you you another good example here. And this, this applies to to what I call 
young entrepreneurs. When I say young, I don't mean young in age. I mean young in business, right? My zero to 10 million crowd here. You you also yes. would be surprised when you go into these major companies. I call them the billion dollar companies, right? And you go meet the people that are running these companies. They're just like you and me, right? They, they just got yeah. a job and they learned to play a little politics and they get moved up that corporate ladder. And they may be some big shot in a big company right now, but they're really not any smarter than a guy running a $10 million operation. I used to joke when I, when I sold right. my landscaping company and I got into the insurance business, it was three years later that I sold that insurance business to a venture capital group. And now I'm standing up in Silicon Valley talking to these billion dollar uh, venture capital groups about how to do what I do and how to do it better. And I remember thinking, I'm standing in this boardroom on Sand Hill Road in Silicon Valley thinking, I was yeah. mowing your grass three years ago. Right. What? Yeah. Talk about an you origin know, And story. now I'm sitting here telling you what you're doing okay. wrong. It just, it, it, it's right. not that they're that smart. So don't ever think that these people are so much smarter than you. You have every ability that they have to do anything right. you want to right. do. But they've also got a huge support system, backing, advice, boards of directors, all the things that you're... But that came with time, right? That didn't happen no. at the beginning. It doesn't just... Yeah, but it comes down to this, right? Successful people, just what we said before, successful people do the things that unsuccessful people are unwilling to do. For whatever reason, not that they can't do, that they're unwilling to do, and that's what separates the. And I will tell you that as a as a as a, from as a zero to ten million dollar entrepreneur, you have more of an ability to stick and move, to improvise and adapt yeah. than a large company, which means you have more opportunity to grow faster. Yeah. Like I'll give you an example. I went into this company. It was a two billion dollar division of an eight billion dollar company, and they had a big con direct to consumer. Yeah call center up in Minneapolis. And I get in there and I, the first thing I, I go in, I'm like, okay, who's in charge? Well, this person will tell me your background. We have zero background in how to run this direct to consumer division. So the first thing I have to do is I go back to the home office in Milwaukee. And I said, look, we need to bring in somebody who is a killer, a hunter killer, right? right. If you want to sell, you need yeah. a hunter killer in here running this organization. Now, why, why did this guy end up in that Politics. position? And they, they yeah, finally agreed to let me hire a new person. And then they fed me people that they wanted me to hire. And every person they fed me, I kept going, you're giving me like an analyst and a, and an actuary and a, and a, and a, a young yeah. business degree person. These are not the people that are going to run a sales division. That's going to be profitable yeah. for you, but they don't get it. Right. You have, yeah. Well, they had a bad process. Is that what it was? They were picking the wrong people or was it just It happens a lot in corporate America, I have found. It, it's not about who's qualified. Skills. It's about who can get the job and who's friends yeah, with right. who. And it, it's political. Right. So I ended up finding the right person. And we turned a, a division. It was a 75 million top line division, losing a million dollars a month when I got there. A year, 14 wow. months later, we were 150 million top line. And we were the most profitable division in this, in this company. But it was... Right. Now, was that just because you put the right people I put in the, the right, right seats on leadership the in, and then I went, I redid their entire huh? training systems. I taught, I did, I taught Got all it. their sales force, how to, how to sell better. I mean, we repositioned everything yeah. from product to sales, to scripts, to management, to tracking, to it, uh, performance tracking, to um, incentives. They were doing terrible incentive award programs. They weren't based on profitability or based on crazy stuff, which screws up people's uh, screws up people's incentives, right? That's a whole long discussion. Yeah. I'm don't want to get into, but right. But if you 
got to motivate people. And if you motivate them with the wrong things, then or you motivate care. them with the wrong thing as in sales is number one as not, and not profitability, right? I can sell product and not be right. profitable. And if my goal is to sell yeah, the product to get the prize, then I'm going to sell the product at any cost. It doesn't make any difference to me as a salesperson and the company is the one we had our top salesman in that company was losing money. Yeah, right. It wasn't the sales. He did what he was told to do. He sold, 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 sold. The problem was all of his sales were falling off on the back end. So his retention rate was terrible and the profitability was gone. Yeah. So he's winning all these awards and making all the money. Company's losing money. I remember when I I, I was in, in Columbus, Ohio for several years working for nationwide doing their tax planning, whatever. And, um, I remember there was this, the annuity division had, I guess, I don't know, the, the executives felt that the salespeople should make more than the executives in the company, which is another stupid thing. So they would cap mm-hmm. their income at a certain level, right? Well, that was good for most people, but for there was one guy who was the top salesman in the country. He would stop working like middle of September, yeah. October. And they would go, why is he not working? I go, because you're why not would? paying him any more money. Why is he going to sell? And he would wait. January would start. And it would all you know start again. But, you know, short sight of management, like what's who cares? I did another one out in Portland, Oregon, and they were struggling. The company was not profitable. And they brought me in for a week to do an analysis, which is typical for me. And after a week, I went and sat in the CEO's office and I had interviewed all the executives, the second level management and then spotty people throughout the organization. I came back and I said, in a week? it's got to be a busy uh, yeah. week. I said, I said, he said, yeah. well, what, what do you think the problem is? I said, easy. You. <laughs> He's like, what do you mean? You go. I'm like, I'm telling you at every level of the organization, every single person here thinks they report directly to you. Your yeah, chain of no, hierarchy is, well, is, is there is none. It's right. zero. And you're yeah. a grenade thrower. You, you right. oh, lead yeah. by intimidation, which means you have everybody scared to death running yeah. around here trying to follow your every move. Really bad way to run a company. So basically his org chart was yes. completely flat and he just scared well, the crap out of everybody and thinking that would motivate it wasn't them, just right? flat he would have his assistant he had three assistants he would have one of his assistants running around giving all the instructions so literally everybody thought they reported to his assistant and then him God. so yeah so he's in the ivory tower yelling at these things yeah. she's running around it was crazy yeah, so they brought no. me in as an interim president well, of this company and the first thing I said is if, I'm, if you're going to if you want me to do this and fix this organization you're not allowed to make any more decisions moving forward He's like, what do you mean? I said, no, I make all decisions. Your, your only decision is to fire me or not fire me, but I make all decisions. He's like, well, he he said, well, can I stay in the office? I said, yeah, you can stay back here in the corner, but don't come out. (laughs) And, uh, the first meeting I had, I had with the executive team, his assistant walked in and she sat down I said, I, I don't remember inviting you. She goes, well, I go to all the meetings. I said, not anymore. (laughs) <laughs> so, uh, yeah. and we flipped that around and that company became wildly profitable. It's owned by Allstate today. It was bought out by national general and then Allstate. So it did really well. Nice. So he has a lot of thanks to uh, you. I like to think so. He probably won't. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we could talk a little bit about strategic planning when it comes to what, what do you want to achieve, right? Do you want this to be a lifestyle business, which is nothing wrong uh, with that. That was the question. Or do you want to exit yeah, we were into that yeah, before. I think so the break the, one of the first questions I ask people is why you're doing this, right? If I'm going to consult with you is why are you doing this? Number one, I want to know why you're doing it, because if you're going to face the headwinds that are going to come your way, you need to have a strong why. But number two is we need to understand what your end goal is. My end goal is always to sell. When I started the restaurants, I knew I would sell and we're two years out from a sale. 
right? So is this a lifestyle business yeah. or what I call self-employed? Or are you building a business yeah. with intrinsic value that you can sell at some point? And if you're, if you're going to do that, that requires a whole different set of things that you have to do with replacing yourself in the organization, yeah. et cetera. And neither one of those right. is wrong because when I sell my restaurant company, yeah. I'm going to go back to being self-employed and just run my mastermind it, it, because I'm tired of yeah. hundreds and hundreds of employees, right? I've done that long enough. I'm done with yeah. it. But oh my God, I don't want so what is life. it that you want in your business? Where do you want it to go? Understand the risks and the rewards of either one of those, right? If you're self-employed, if you're a solopreneur and you get sick, you're out of business, right? Where yeah. if you own a business and you replace yourself and you build intrinsic value, I could sell my company and nobody would even know, right? But I also have to deal with a lot of hundreds of employees and getting sued all the time. I have two lawsuits going on right now from employees. So which one of those do you want, right? And when you make that decision, then we can determine how we're going to build your business moving forward. Right. If you tell me I want to yeah. build something I can sell someday, great. Then we need to start building systems and processes, right? People, processes, and technology, yep. so that you can get out of here and yep. not do this day to day. And that's going to require right. you to make yeah. a little less money along the way. We call this little sacrifice, right? Yeah. So you sacrifice some right. money to bring more and more people in to replace you at each level of the organization. But eventually, you'll get to the point where you've created a lifestyle which also has value. Right. Like yeah. I can run my restaurants from the ski slopes. I was out there for a month. I can run it from the beach. I just got back from the beach for two weeks because everything is on my cell phone. I can run my whole company on a cell phone and we can build those kind of businesses yeah. if that's what you want. But you have to commit to it and tell me up right. front. So, yeah, depends on what the person wants and everybody wants something different. And sometimes they progress. I just want to be a solo entrepreneur. Yeah. Okay. Course. Right. Life's not static. No, no success not. is a progression. But I think a lot of people get in and they're so excited about whatever the idea they have. First, they skip all kinds of steps when it comes to planning <laughs> and, and figuring it out ahead of time, right? All the strategic planning you should do. And then they never really ask themselves where they want to end up in five or 10 years. They're just worried about where they're right. going to end up next week. Five or 10 years go down the road and you're really just an employee of a business that you also right. happen to own. It's hard to make that transition. You know, it probably takes a good three to five years, depending on how what road you went down and how far down the road you were. Maybe Here's a big one for you, Mitch. I will tell you that a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with allowing their people to fail without stepping in and taking over the process. So in other words, if I'm going to bring somebody in to do what I do, I need to understand up front that they're never going to be as good as me, even if it's only in my mind. Right. Right. If they're huge 70 to 80% mind. as good as me, then I've got a huge winner. So you need to understand that right. up front. Don't get upset when they can't do what you do. It was never going right. to be 100%, 70 to 80. And to get them to that right. 80, by the way, they need to fail. And they're going to fail. And you need to allow them to fail and learn so that they will be a better employee for you as time goes on. Too many people pull the trigger, firing people. Oh, I can. Oh, get out yeah. of the way. You, can, I'll you just do can't it. do that. I do it faster. Let me just right. do it. I'm better at it. I'm faster at it. They're causing more harm to themselves, the business, the employee. Yeah, and that is a huge, huge problem for people who want to build value in an organization. Right. Well, a lot of it also has to do empowering your people, right? So if your people feel that even if they do fail a little bit, and if they do make mistakes, you're still behind yes. them, then they will be more willing to try things. And to, I had, I don't know if it was me or it was a company I was working for, but somebody working for us and I know what it was. I had I was working for a company, and the, one of the senior executives had a secretary, an assistant, administrative assistant. She and he wasn't like 
he would he would rely on her completely. She could mm-hmm. run the whole office. But for some reason, she wasn't willing to take ownership in anything that she was doing. So you would call. It was in, in, in it was an insurance agency. I was part of the edge. So you would call your an agent and you would call. You needed to talk to John. Here's do me a favor. Give John this message. I need this, this. And then you give this whole message. John gets back to the office. The secretary says, uh, John called. What did he call I about? Don't uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> and then you called you back. And you're like, what are you talking about? I left this whole message. Finally, we had to we had to let her go. And then once we got somebody in there who did take control of things and was willing to take ownership, he would get back. Wouldn't have any messages. He goes, well, nobody's calling me anymore. Well, you know, Brian called earlier, take but I was able to take care of it. I called the home office. We figured, yeah, changed Better his give life. Better that person a raise, too, because when they leave, you're going to be in trouble. Yeah, exactly. That runs the company. But I think that, first of all, people get too reliant on one or two people to run their company. And they and they they do. They, they do not. They always feel, oh, it's just easier for me to do it. But in the long run, it's not. No. It's, it's much it worse for your It hurts your long-term value. Nobody's going to buy time. your company if you are the sole source of information or technical expertise. Right. No one's going to buy it. It's not worth right. anything. Because when you go, They're you're gone. You. It's gone. Right. Nobody's going to buy your right. business if all the customers know you, like you, and want to talk to you. Because when you go, right. yeah. they're leaving. Right. Look, it's a huge problem in my business. In a professional services business, the clients are used to working with the professionals. So you try and bring, you know, associates mm-hmm. in or younger people to start working with those people so they become comfortable because you can't, you know, you can only offload. I have an ethical obligation to do certain things, so I can only offload so much. And it's a difficult, you know, it's difficult to create succession in a small professional yeah. practice. It really is. It can be done, but, you know, it, it's difficult and a lot of a lot of people struggle. But, yeah, that's all uh, – all really good advice. So, okay. So I know we've, we've been on for about 50 to 55 minutes, something like that. If people want to, um, learn more about you, we talked about the book dropout, the dropout multi, multi yep, the millionaire. Dropout multi-millionaire. Right. That's available. I assume on Amazon. We'll put republish and put links yep. in the show notes. Uh, how can people find you? LinkedIn? Is there a way to Yeah, so the easiest way is to go on my website, which is www.brianwillmedia.com. Brianwillmedia.com. All three of my books are on there. My podcast episodes are on there. My blogs are on there. My contact okay. information, the mastermind, everything's on there. You can look me up on any social media platform at the Dropout MM, but my website pretty much has everything, so that makes it easy. I have everything there. Okay, good. So people can connect with you, learn yeah. from you, read the book. Um, if anybody wants to get in touch with Brian and for some reason you didn't listen to what he said and you can't <laughs> find him, contact us and we'll put you guys in touch. Brian, I, I can't thank you for taking the time to come on here. I know it was a little snafu getting online, so I apologize for that. Um, I am going to run the credits and then you stay on and we'll uh, we'll wrap Which up some things. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Accidental Entrepreneur. Opening and closing music written and performed by Howie Moscovich and Made to Order Music. For information about Howie and his music services, please follow the link in our show notes. If you like the podcast, please tell others about us. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, on Amazon Music, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and most of the other podcast directories. If you like what you hear, please leave us a five-star review and feel free to share our episodes on social media. If you have any questions or comments, ideas for the show, or you'd even like to appear as a guest, reach out to us by email at info at The Accidental Entrepreneur is hosted by Mitch Beinacker and produced by Beinacker Law. If you'd like to learn more about our business and legal services, you can find us on social media or visit our website at BeinackerLaw.com. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe to our feed to be notified of all future episodes.